This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome to our Behind the Markets podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz. Alongside Wharton Frank Professor Jeremy Siegel, we tackle the latest market trends every week on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 132. Our guest consists of experts like the world's leading authority on long-term economic growth, Bob Gordon. We will continue to see jobs created rather than destroyed. Former chair of the Federal Reserve, Janet Yellen. I mean, I don't think either of us ever expected that we would live through a financial crisis. Or even the head of the Digital Indian Foundation, Arvind Gupta. The reason that people are talking about India is massive digitization and financial inclusion that we have done over the last couple of years. Enjoy this week's show. Welcome to Behind the Markets here on Business Radio, powered by the Warren School. I'm your host, Jeremy Schwartz, Global Head of Research at Wisdom Tree. My co-host is Warren Finance Professor Jeremy Siegel, author of Stocks for the Long Run and the Future for Investors. Please note, I'm registered representative of Foresight Fund Services. Professor Siegel is a senior advisor at Wisdom Tree. Our discussion is not tied to the offer or sale of investment products. And the views of our guests are their own and not those of Wisdom Trade Affiliates. It's going to be a really interesting show. We're going to have a financial advisor in the Northeast area talking about his views of the world, a professor, uh, all about the vaccine to start the week. We're closing yeah. on a positive note here. What's your, your current take? Yeah, I, I actually just got to my computer at about 6.30 Monday morning, and I saw, I saw that Pfizer News scroll on the screen, 90% plus effective, and I just, whoa, this is a huge game changer, Uh, really a breakthrough and changes everything, really. Uh, We're going to obviously, you know, get Moderna. Uh, We we also got Eli Lilly's treatment, which could be refined so it doesn't have to be given an infusion. This is the last wave. We all have to be careful really careful the next four six weeks into Christmas. But I'm very convinced that once we get to the downslope of this wave, which I think we will reach by the end of December, early January, this is the last wave. And it'll be a much diminished with people getting treatments, getting vaccines, um, and uh, gaining confidence uh, throughout the entire year. Uh, A reopening is certain next year. Now, not everyone's going to you know, have 100% confidence uh, by the spring or even the summer, but as they see those cases down, as they see the deaths way, way down, as they see the vaccine working, they will come along. And uh, what's also important is with 90% plus, if this holds in the final analysis, you don't need to get everyone vaccinated to have effective blocking of the virus transmission. Um, you did when it was 40 or 50%, but not when it's really 90. We want everyone to get it. I think that that would be excellent, and there will be doses. But, uh, you know, if there's holdouts, it doesn't matter as much. So we see the market reacting pretty much, as you said. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the value stocks, so to speak, the reopening stocks are doing very well. We see a jump in yield. I mean, they're in the high eights for the 10-year. Um, you know, I expect there to be a lot of caution as we watch these, this last wave roll uh, through and, you know, what happens. And, again, everyone should be very, very careful now. But um, the light is at the end of the tunnel definitively. And uh, I can't think of better news that we have. 
Yeah, people are wondering like what's going to happen for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Should people see their families and and you know yeah. locally, there are they going to close the schools? Is the the big yeah. topic? It seems like we're we're getting towards I more know, closures. I know, and that's tough. I mean, I, we're we're just keeping it for the first time to the immediate family. We formed a pod with the immediate family, um, and I think you know that that is wise um, uh, to do that. Um, but. Uh, I think this is the last holiday, for instance, that we're going to have to be as careful as we are. Schools, of course, you know, starting January, new semester, some late in January, I think it's going to, everyone's going to see, wow, things are happening, and the view is going to be much better. So it's a brightening view. The, the stock market is a forward-looking indicator. Why is it going up despite spiking cases? Because it sees the end of the tunnel, and it's right. And, um, again... Be very careful now, but the future, uh, to me, has never looked brighter than it does uh, from the news we've been getting and that I hope we will continue to get over the next uh, two to three weeks. Any sort of any quick election comments on, you know, the, the everybody, as we shut down again, people thinking about the the, the, the need to get a, a new package of, of stimulus? Yeah. Do you think they're going to come uh, to that? We should. Uh, you know, uh, we should have it because there are people who are hurting. I would love to get it, and unless Pelosi wants to hold out for everything, thinking she might get Georgia, so why hold out? Uh, I would, uh, you know, it, it's a shame we're not getting it now because there's still a lot of shutdown. And, of course, restaurants are going to be in more shutdown because of this virus surge. Yeah. And uh, really, I'd love to get it. But you know what? We can survive not getting it. It'll be more pain for a while, three months. But uh, again, looking beyond that, things are much better. All right, Professor, thanks for some commentary to start our show today. Thank you very much. We're going to be talking with uh, Paul Esposito, who is a uh, senior portfolio manager and portfolio manager in the Investment Policy Committee Chair at Prestige Wealth Management. They're one of Wisdom Tree's clients in the Northeast Philadelphia region. Uh, Paul, welcome to Behind the Markets. Thanks for joining us. Jeremy, thank you very much for having me today. It's, uh, it's great to get, get to talk to you. I know you focus a lot on markets and advising clients. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and about Prestige Wealth Management. Absolutely. So um, I'm, as you stated, the Senior Portfolio Manager here at Prestige Wealth Management Group. Uh, I'm responsible for capital market research, uh, managing the firm's investment process and running our portfolio strategies. Additionally, I head the uh, firm's Investment Policy Committee Chair. Uh, Prestige Wealth Management Group is a, we're a, we're a full-service RIA, a Registered Investment Advisory uh, firm that uh, was founded by our principal, uh, Roy Williams, 30 years ago. Uh, we collectively offer investment management, uh, financial planning, tax planning, estate planning, all under one roof. Uh, we also have uh, an, an accounting firm, Prestige Wealth Accounting, uh, that helps us integrate the tax preparation and planning uh, with our overall client investment experience. Uh, so our mission statement, our goal, is to essentially be our client's uh, personal CFO, uh, a steward for them to, um, to help them prudently grow and preserve their wealth. Uh, and we have uh, two offices. Our main office is located here in uh, Flemington, New Jersey, uh, and one uh, north of here in Melbourne, New Jersey. So the personal CFO is sort of interesting, interesting way of, of, of framing things. What, what are sort of the key issues people are dealing with right now as they, they think about end of year, all the current dynamics? It's sort of an interesting year. It certainly has been. I mean, I think, um, you know, election worries were, were probably front and center, uh, you know, for most clients. 
um, you know, the potential for, you know, a, uh, a change in tax policy, uh, you know, with, you know, preemptively, you know, not knowing what the, uh, the outcome was going to be of the election. I think, um, you know, a lot of that has now been, you know, of course, put to rest. Um, it looks like, you know, at least at this point, we're going to have a divided government uh, between the House and the Senate. Uh, I know there's still the runoff in Georgia, um, but it does look like uh, the candidate, uh, according to polls, and I know that's, that's a very uh, dangerous thing nowadays to, uh, to be citing polls, uh, given the very poor track record, but it, it does look like uh, the one candidate there, Purdue, um, will allow for there to be a slim majority. Um, so, you know, if we, you know, take a look at, um, you know, that division and, you know, the fact that, you know, the president-elect uh, looks like is, you know, still um, um, Joe Biden, um, you know, we're not going to encounter, you know, at least in the, in the near term, uh, marginal tax rate increases, uh, at the individual level, the threat of corporate taxes uh, increasing to 28% is now abated. Um, and, uh, you know, with Congress being in, in gridlock, uh, although, you know, I think, um, you know, there may be some impediments to some policy changes, but I do think that, um, you know, President Biden will be conducive in, in reaching across the aisle, uh, which, you know, could possibly... Uh, lead to a, a, a greater stimulus, um, you know, if, um, you know, those hurdles can be overcome. So you put that into the backdrop of a, of a dovish Fed, and, uh, you know, it's it's uh, very amazing how, how easily those worries abate, you know, as, as evidenced by uh, the moves subsequent to election night. Um, you know, as Professor Siegel stated, you know, those uh, those moves got accentuated by uh, the vaccine news. Um, so, you know, we're seeing that uh, cyclical rotation, uh, although a little bit of that came off yesterday. Now that's revisiting us again. Um, so, you know, we, we are very uh, constructive um, on, on, you know, our, our viewpoint for the market going into 2021. But we still, you know, need need to be cautious. Um, you know, the light is at the end of the tunnel. But I, th- I think, you know, we've got a few more months, um, some bumps in the road. And um, yeah. But you know, I, I can't say that, uh, you know, we don't like the environment we're, you know, embarking upon. Now, now you and I we've been talking recently, and so I know you've done a full portfolio review and approach for how you think about building portfolios and the types of factors, and very tied into what's happening this week. Maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about sort of the investment approach you guys have have been been thinking about, and and how you're thinking about shifting um, from you know some of the way you've structured portfolios in the past. Certainly. Um, so you know, just for the record, uh, we we hold ourselves out as being you know a long term strategic. Uh, tax-conscious investment firm. I, I think that's probably the best way to characterize us. Uh, you know, we do look at at um, infusing some tactical viewpoints into the market, but um, you know, generally speaking, um, you know, our our investment process, you know, I would I'd probably categorize it as a healthy balance between you know top-down, bottom-up uh, when we run our equity strategies. Um, you know, we're obviously cognizant of the macro elements at hand. Um, but, you know, we, we do like to select investment factors that we think are going to cooperate with that backdrop. Um, you know, so, you know, strategically, you know, we have been utilizing quality, value, momentum, size, 
um, to some degree. Um, uh, certain strategies um, by design, um, you know, um, according to discipline, have actually started to, and you could add, you could argue probably a little too early, started to shift to those cyclicals based on um, some of the relative value metrics that, that we follow. Um, but um, as far as, you know, um, you know, making any, you know, drastic changes and in, in, into early cyclicals, um, you know, tilts of, of a large degree. Uh, that's, you know, not something that, that our firm is, is, is necessarily enamored by because we do think, although in the short run, there, you know, may be this, um, you know, this, this, this spark of growth, this, this boon in, um, in markets, um, we do think that, you know, the, the macro forces at hand are still just that. They're, you know, we've got uh, most of the developed market world is, is still very debt-laden on a demographic decline. Um, there's a lot of structural issues in, in Europe, um, you know, Japan. Uh, and, you know, the, the magnitude of debt, in, in our viewpoint, is long-run long deflationary, uh, which portends to um, suboptimal GDP growth. So in, in looking at that, we're, you know, uh, in, in figuring out which factors we, we want to utilize. We're, uh, we're cognizant that we want to use factors that are going to be mindful of low-growth environments. So, you know, quality and momentum, um, I think, have been, you know, for us just over this past cycle and embarking on this next cycle have certainly been, um, you know, more so all-weather. Um, uh, obviously, value has had its, uh, its you know, its fair share of, uh, of disappointments, over the last 12 years, do, do we think that the performance gap um, in, in the style of value will start to converge with growth? Uh, sure. I mean, in the short run, I think that's, that's very plausible. You know, you get vaccine news, um, you know, reopening of the economy. Um, but, you know, if we look at uh, what the, you know, the COVID pandemic did, it, it accelerated, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of secular growth, growth trends, in particular in technology, um, which is why, you know, in you know, the advent of that news, we saw some of those, um, you know, Zoom, Peloton, uh, some of those names, those COVID-related names um, trade off. Um, but I do think that, you know, when we look at the, uh, the ability for, you know, those companies to, you know, um, responsibly grow revenue, grow dividends, um, and, you know, in looking at, you know, the fortress balance sheets that a lot of, of these, these companies have that, you know, um, do have those, those, those secular themes behind them, um, we believe that there's going to be a, a stronger ability for them to, you know, have, a, have, a, have an earnings growth rate above GDP. And hence, we think there's, you know, in the long run that those, you know, secular themes will, will be intact um, for our portfolios. Yeah. We're talking to Paul Esposito, who's a chair of the, uh, the investment policy at Prestige Wealth Management Group. Um, Paul, so you, I know one of the things you've talked about also, you, you've been shifting away from mutual funds um, a little bit from those structures to sort of newer structures. Any commentary on what motivated uh, sort of some of the, the strategic shifts in, in how you're thinking about getting some of these factor exposures? Uh, absolutely. So, uh, you know, for the record, you know we're um, you know a dimensional shop. Um, I won't talk product anything product specific, but uh, 
25 years ago, our CIO, uh, Roy Williams, embraced the work of, of Gene Fama, uh, and he began to incorporate equity premiums of value and size you know, across um, equity asset classes within the portfolio. Uh, and the methodology worked you know, very, very well over that duration. Um, however, we, you know, we felt that that methodology you know, didn't necessarily evolve with, with the regime change in central bank policy and you know, some of those macroeconomic um, themes that we discussed earlier. Um, and essentially, you know, one of the factors that we believe is, you know, to be all weather and, um, worked very nicely in complement with, um, uh, with value, uh, was really underserved in the methodology. Uh, so we did make that, you know, decision to, um, uh, to migrate toward, um, exchange traded funds, of, you know, of course, um, in working with Wisdom Tree. Um, adopting, you know, the uh, the core methodology of um, uh, infusing, uh, you know, dividend growth and quality um, in, into our portfolios. Um, so, you know, I know that Dimensional and, and the Fama French methodology in 2019 did attempt to uh, correct for for quality, and they they utilized a profitability screen, which is essentially based. Uh, it was a capex based metric. Um, but we, we just think it fell short because um, all they were, they were really aiming to do, in my opinion, was to just correct for some of the value traps that um, uh, the methodology created in the small cap space. Um, but, you know, aside from, you know, that, that overall shift from, you know, mutual funds to ETFs, um, um, and, you know, we do also utilize a lot of individual stocks um, in our practice as well, um, the, the, the tax efficiency aspect. Um, now, you could argue um, index mutual funds solve for that problem, um, but you know we did have a uh, you know a large percentage of, of legacy uh, mutual fund positions that were actively managed, and you know and in this year, which to me seems like a 2016 redux, um, uh, you know you could have a you know. A flat or positive year in an asset class. Now it looks like you know broadly we're, we're probably going to, you know, escape that scenario um, of a uh, you know nominally positive or, or flat return for for most asset classes. But with all the volatility that ensued earlier in the year, most active managers, and Jeremy, as you know, uh, what do they do in times of distress? They sell, you know, all of their their good investments. Uh, which usually have a capital gain, and and the capital gains distributions toward the the tail end of the year uh, are a conundrum. I mean, especially if you look at uh, asset classes like um, you know small cap or emerging markets, which you know haven't kept up with the rest of the broad market, or even you know value um, oriented mutual funds, um, actively managed mutual funds. So uh, you know it adds insult to injury. You know where you know. Uh, on December 15th, a uh, you know mutual fund company decides to uh, uh, provide you and saddle you with a 20% capital gains distribution on you know maybe a small cap fund that is flat or even negative for the year. So that is um, you know the, yeah. the other uh, other reason for our migration to ETFs. 
That's 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 really interesting background and sort of the shift from say sorry a Fama French small value world towards more quality. I mean that's certainly been playing out very nicely this year, uh, and you know certainly the quality approach has, has helped protect dividends in in a down market for dividends where you know a lot of the small cap dividends are down twenty percent plus. You know the the large caps with a quality filter have seen uh, you know you know even closer to positive. It's getting closer to positive growth on the year. So it's uh, I certainly think that's a, an interesting long term strategic discussion there. Maybe talk a little bit you one of the things you, you know i know when you think about building portfolios and, and your client base you know you don't think we talk a little bit about the u.s versus international how you think about global diversification um in terms of going outside the u.s today well you i mean uh we might be at odds with regard to uh you know our philosophy on uh, international market exposure our firm predominantly takes a u.s centric uh, u.s centric approach in managing uh, both equity and fixed income. Um, this, this really stems uh, from the notion that we, we believe globally we're the best house on the block compared to other developed market worlds. Um, you know, our debt levels uh, look better on a relative basis than, say, a country like Japan with 300-plus percent debt to GDP or even Europe. Uh, we have more cohesive monetary and fiscal policy compared to that of the EU. Um, and, and, you know, better demographics. We don't have a 0.5% um, birth rate like that of uh, greater Europe. Um, and not to mention, you know, we do think, we, you know, we do believe we're still getting that, that level of international exposure uh, via the broad U.S. market. Um, looking at the S&P 500, you have 40, what, 46, 47% of revenue being derived internationally. So, you know, we do feel that we're getting that <clears throat> similar level of, of participation economically on, on a global basis. But um, instead of taking that, you know, direct currency or country-specific risk head-on, we're, we're transferring those, those risk decisions to the management teams and boards of those companies. Um, also, you know, in looking at, at our clientele, which is comprised predominantly of retirees, where uh, 100% of their liabilities are going to need to be funded in U.S. dollars, and they're domiciled in the U.S. So uh, from a planning, from a cash flow planning standpoint, we find it to be more suitable to manage their currency and business cycle risk in, in their um, investment portfolios in context to that of the U.S. stock market and economy. Um, now, I will add, uh, emerging markets, uh, you know, do seem, you know, very compelling from a valuation standpoint. Um, and, and, of course, looking at, you know, the longer-term demographic trends. And, and that's certainly an area that we would entertain if that was part of our investment policy. Uh, but the volatility, the currency risks are, are a bit off-putting. Uh, it's, been, it's been a difficult asset class over the last um, 15 years to 12 years. Um, in managing that space, um, but we'd rather risk budget those proceeds into a subset of themes that uh, make up, you know, some of those broad secular uh, trends in in infotech and healthcare. We only have about uh, a little bit less than two minutes left. It goes quick, Paul. Um, you know, maybe just final thoughts on as you think about the the big challenges. Uh, income, fixed income, is it probably a pretty challenged area? Any quick thoughts on how you're thinking about managing through these ultimate low yields that we get today? Right. Well, you know, I think uh, our firm's philosophy of not chasing yield has has served us well. Um, We didn't do that going into this year, and and I think that 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 approach is going to serve investors well 
into the future, um, despite the anemic yields that we have here in the U.S., as Dr. Siegel alluded to, what are we at, 0.88 on a 10-year? Um, we're still very the highest-yielding um, sovereign debt out there, um, so that's still attractive. But uh, I, I don't think bonds are uninvestable. Uh, they still play a very important role in ballast into the equity portfolio. Uh, we do take a core plus approach, so um, predominantly we want to be in very high quality bonds. We will look at some opportunities and um, some asset backed, um, uh, or you know even you know selectively in in credit. Um, but it, when it comes to chasing yield, I think um, with duration being as high as it is right now, uh, with credit concerns still looming despite the Fed support, um, if you're going to take the risk. Um, we do think that, again, as a surrogate to high yield or preferreds, uh, dividend-paying equities, namely quality dividend-paying equities, uh, are going to better suit you if, if you're looking to increase your risk profile. And, and any final places? Uh, we got 20 seconds. Uh, oh, I'm going to have to say goodbye, Paul. This has been a great conversation. Uh, thank you so much for joining us to talk about how prestige wealth management looks at the markets and uh, your different factors. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I want to thank you very much for the opportunity, and I just want to say on behalf of our firm, really appreciate all the research that you and the Wisdom Tree team provide. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Markets podcast. If you want to learn more about Wisdom Tree, visit wisdomtree.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jeremy D. Schwartz. I'd like to thank Patty Hall for producing our live program on SiriusXM channel 132 and our podcast producer, Daniel Bruno. Join us next week for another edition of the show. Insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.